When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mystery thriller readers, this one's for you. We're giving away the 10 best mysteries and thrillers of the year so far to one lucky Book Riot reader or podcast listener. The prize pack includes Miracle Creek by Angie Kim, The Lost Man by Jane Harper, American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson, and more. Just go to bookriot.com slash best mysteries to enter to win. And don't forget to leave your lights on. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 199, and we are recording on September 24th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. 199. Uh, 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 it is. That's exciting. It's 90 degrees here. I was just going to say it was like 89 or 90 yesterday. It is cooler today here. So there's that. I really wanted it. I'm going to see Lizzo tomorrow. Which I, <gasps> oh, yes. Oh, oh, my friends went in New York. They said it was amazing. Oh, I, of course it is. She's yeah. the best. She wears glittery bodysuits and combat boots. I love her so mm-hmm. much. I'm so excited about it. I am not excited about it being 90 degrees while I'm surrounded by no. people, but it's fine. Fine, I will do. I'll do. I'll do it for you, Lizzo. Yeah, that's right. Because she's listening, and we'll hear this. Uh, anyway, <laughs> moving on from my weird fangirling. Um, so, how the show works? As I said, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So, you ask us to recommend you books, and then we do it. And that's that's pretty much it. So, you can email your reading recommendation request to us at getbooktobookright.com or drop them in the form uh, on the show notes um, on the site. I never get. I never say that smoothly. Form, show notes, site. Put put the thing there. Uh, if your question is time sensitive, please put it in the subject line of your email. If you use the form, put it in big letters in the first line so we can get to it on time. We might email you back if we're not going to get to your question in time or if it has already been asked on the show. Okay, we got a little bit of feedback. Um, Stephanie has feedback for Gigi, who is asking for a story with strong character development and detailed scenes like dreams coming to life. Stephanie recommends Strange the Dreamer by Lainey Taylor. And Elizabeth has feedback for the reader who wanted something after City of Girls about a young woman finding their way in their 20s. She recommends J. Courtney Sullivan's Commencement, which follows four women who are freshman roommates at a women's college through college, graduation, and several years thereafter, including jobs, husbands, boyfriends, etc. Um, and then we've also got Khadija, who has a recommendation for Joelle. I just finished reading Tell Me How You Really Feel by Amina Masafi yesterday, and I think it has a lot of what she's looking for. YA romance between two queer women of color set in L.A., and the city has a lot to do with the plot. Oh, one more from Alex, who says, um, I wanted to pass on a book to Claire the Dancer from one artist enduring injury to another. I'd like to recommend The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. It's a little eye-rolly about taking a deep spiritual dive into your creativity. Um, read it when she was first injured, not least of all because I felt like I needed to spend all that t- time healing, but this process helped me rediscover the depth of my passion for my art, as well as all the myriad other interests I might have should I decide 
that making art is ultimately not the life I want. Okay, thank you all so much for your feedback. I'm going to read our first question, and then we will roll on. Um, Okay, our first question is from Julia, who says, A friend and I just booked a two-week trip to South Korea for early November, and I want to do as much research as possible before I go because I'm such a Hermione. I'm looking for books, fiction or nonfiction, that will provide me context about the culture, history, food, traditions, and or landscape of South Korea. I already have Wicked Fox and Pachinko on my list. What else can you recommend that will help me learn as much as I can? I've never been anywhere in Asia, and I'm excited to go. Okay, Jen's going to tell us about our first sponsor, and then we will answer your question. Yes. And our first sponsor is Slay by Brittany Morris from Simon & Schuster Children's Publishing, which I have been excitedly looking forward to. I have got to get my hands on a copy. The publisher is calling this Ready Player One meets Black Panther. (laughs) And right, like very interesting. (laughs) You have my attention. And Entertainment Weekly called it the YA debut we're most excited for this year. It is about 17-year-old Kira Johnson, who has to preserve her secret identity as the developer of the online multiplayer game Slay and harness what it means to be unapologetically Black in a world intimidated by Blackness. But can Kira protect the game without losing herself in the process? So Brittany Morris, like it says, is a, she's the debut author. Um, she's super involved in the YA community. She's participated in Pitch Wars and DV Pit. Uh, she's had some tweets go viral. So if you're a Twitter fan, you can go look her up there. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's for fans of Black Panther and Ready Player One, obviously, but also The Hate You Give and then Warcross by Marie Lu, all of which are fantastic games. And I do love a heroine who is in STEM and computer coding. Mm-hmm. And so that's pretty cool. And yeah, the book, it's about community and identity and how do you find comfort in your own skin when the world is trying to make you uncomfortable. So super interested in that one. That again is Slay by Brittany Morris from Simon & Schuster Children's Publishing. Thank you for sponsoring the show. Korea. So I picked for you a nonfiction that I read actually for another asker a while back and really enjoyed. It's called The Birth of Korean Cool, How One Nation is Conquering the World Through Pop Culture by Yuni Hong. And this was a super fun read because Hong is a really like chatty kind of writer. And it's a book about pop culture, which gotta love. Um, it came out in 2014. So like a little bit moved on from the pop culture, like Psy and Gangnam style that was, you know, prevalent at the time, but obviously still relevant. And Yuni Hong moved from America to the Gangnam neighborhood in Seoul as a child. And so she like not only had some culture shock adjusting to life in South Korea from life in America, but also was around for like watching the South Korean government decide that they were going to fund things like b-boys and music and try to export culture as part of their like governmental strategy. Super interesting. And she also talks about like what it was like to go to school there and, you know, like how this is a country that once banned miniskirts, but like now is like producing boy bands. Like what is how did that happen? And she looks into it and it's got a lot of personal touches. It's kind of memoir as well as a, you know, look at the pop culture of South Korea. So super fun, super interesting. Again, that's The Birth of Korean Cool by Yuni Hong. Um, mine is a murder mystery, so it's not as <laughs> like, I'm hoping this does not reflect your experience while you're on vacation. Um, <laughs> Whoops. But I picked The Hole by Hai Young Pyun, and it's translated by Sora Kim Russell. Actually, it's not a, well, okay, I don't want to spoil it for you. So 
It is a thriller that has been compared to Shirley Jackson. It reminded me a lot of Misery, the Stephen King um, book. It's about a professor named Oji who has, when the book opens, he's awoken from a coma that he fell into when he was in a really terrible car accident. The car accident has killed his wife and left him paralyzed and really badly disfigured. He doesn't have any children. He doesn't have any living relatives. So the only person left who can take care of him is his mother-in-law. She also doesn't have any living relatives anymore. And she immigrated to Korea from Japan. Um, and so she does, she's not like in touch with her family. So like each other are like the only people that the two of them have left now that the mother's daughter and his wife is dead. And so, you know, OG's world like very much just becomes the bed that he lies in with his mom or with his mother-in-law taking care of him and, you know, the caretaker that she hires um, coming in occasionally. But then things get weird <laughs> things get weird <laughs> tumblr.com um the mother-in-law very obviously resents oji and you start to figure out why as you get more and more flashbacks into his his daily life with his wife and the troubles that they they had in their relationship um and the troubles that like she had specifically um this uh, this dude is like not a good character he was not a good husband and now he's trapped like at the mercy of his mother-in-law who is discovering more and more about how badly he treated her daughter um and so the hole in the title is a reference to a giant pit that she's digging in her front yard in their front yard for reasons that like he cannot figure out and it just starts to torment him and he undergoes like all of this psychological torment but also a little some physical torment uh, and he's just like stuck in this bed like at her mercy and i picked it because like I think that the things that cultures are scared of are so interesting and the ways Mm. that and offer like a really, I don't know, like fascinating insight into what makes up um, a culture's values. So like this is a horrifying novel because he's a man who is trapped at the mercy of an elderly woman who is like in a lot most cultures not a person who is like valued um, and can't he loses his professional um like all of his success is gone. He was a really successful academic that's gone. Um, and the things that, that make this book terrifying are just interesting. Like they're both universal and also really culturally specific, I think. Um, so reading a horror novel from a place where you're going seems a little counterintuitive, but it, it actually is really fascinating. So that's The Hole by Hai Young Pyun. Nice, nice. Uh, let's see. Our next question is from Kelly, who says, over the summer, I've gotten into reading and into a reading kick of books with a certain madcap flair, like everything is bonkers, but we're going with it plot lines. Uh, I think the recommendation for the affair of the mysterious letter by Alexis Hall is what set me off. So I wanted to ask for more, please. Other books I've read in this vein would be The Parasol Protectorate, Good Omens, The Air Affair, Hitchhiker's Guide. And I'm noticing a British theme here, (laughs) which is fine to continue or book. Uh, I'm just going to keep going. So nobody's going to be surprised (laughs) by my recommendation, which is The Chilling Effect by Valerie Valdez, which is out now. And I'm obsessed with it. And Amanda was the original obsessed with it. Thank you, Amanda, for not stopping talking about this book until I read it. It is so bonkers. It is so much fun. And it's a space opera by uh, like Miami Cuban-American authors. So not British, but I think it's very in line with what you're looking for, because the plot just gets like wackier and wackier as it goes along. Uh, the main character, Eva Innocente, is the captain of a ship, which does like odd jobs, you know, kind of mercenary for hire situation, mostly cargo. 
some smuggling perhaps on the side. And her sister, who she hasn't talked to in a long time, is kidnapped by like the space version of the mafia, which is called the fridge. And they're like, you have to work for us now. And you can't tell your crew. And we're going to give you all of these incredibly dangerous jobs to do. And if you mess them up or don't do them, like, we're going to kill your sister or send her to this brutal, like, you know, work labor situation or bad things are going to happen. So she, in the meantime, has like a bunch of psychic cats from a job gone wrong and rejected the advances of an alien who turns out to be an emperor at a bar and now is pursuing her around the galaxy, destroying things because she won't sleep with him. And like all kinds of bananas things happen. There's one scene where like she's on this planet with basically some like dinosaur-esque aliens and it turns into like a soap opera episode and I like a telenovela style like situation and I was like I don't even know what's happening anymore and I'm so excited about it like it's it has so many weird fun moments it's just the best and there's a really lovely romance that like really thinks about power dynamics in a way that I love to see on the page so like everything about this book is great you will love it everybody should read it. Again, that's Chilling Effect by Valerie Valdez. I stuck with the madcap British (laughs) theme. Uh, And I went with The Invisible Library by Genevieve Cogman, which is the first in a series that's pretty long at this point. I think there are like six books. And it's about a woman named Irene, who is a professional spy for The Library with a capital L. The Library is a um, like interdimensional library magical library that exists between worlds and times and space and all that um and the librarians who work there harvest books from different realities and keep like hard copies so they have copies of every book that's ever been published in any reality or any variation ever um and she irene has a new assistant his name is kai and she gets a new mission with kai to go to an alternative steampunk london with like fairies and vampires also um in order to retrieve a copy of Grimm's fairy tales that has gone missing uh and putting a twist to this is that this this version of London, this alternative steampunk vampire fairy London, um, is decay. It's like in a state of magical kind of chaotic decay. So when she goes there, she can't depend on like the rules of physics as she knows them or magic or anything to obey. So she's going into a super, super dangerous situation to find a really valuable book that like a lot of people are after. Um, and she doesn't know much about her assistant. He is she, like, she's given no information about him. He's pretty young um, and has a lot of like skills that she finds weird. <laughs> for somebody his age to have. So you've got that kind of mystery about what's going on with him. Um, she's also got like a, an arch nemesis and a really dangerous enemy. And, you know, there are dragons. It's just super fun. And nothing that happens makes any sense, but you don't have to care. Like, you don't care. You're just, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the point. You know, that this this place is like completely chaotic and some magical beings appear and then disappear. There are killer crocodiles. Like, the whole thing is bananas. And I love it so much. It's such a romp. So that's The Invisible Library by Genevieve Cartman. Okay. Question three is from Mallory, who says, Every year for Hanukkah, I send my friend eight ebooks for Thanksgiving until the last day of the holiday. When Anna and the French Kiss by Stephanie Perkins came out, we both loved it, and I read the rest of the books in the series. At the time, we also liked some of the books by Rainbow Rowell. I've had trouble finding another whimsical, fun, romantic, but well-written series that has the same energy as Perkins's books. Any suggestions? Okay, Jen, what you got? So... I have a pick that's a little different, but I think is compatible with what you're looking for. It's the Heroine Complex series by Sarah Kuhn, which are whimsical, fun, and romantic, plus some action. 
So, uh, like, like I said, not exactly a comp for Anna and the French Kiss, but I think that the vibe is just so enjoyable. They suck you in. The characters are so wonderful. The romances are really great, and there's really funny scenes. So I think like this will scratch similar itches. And the main character in the there's it's a three book series currently. And they're all out. And Evie Tanaka in the first one is the main character who is a personal assistant to like a local superhero. She, they live in San Francisco. Aveda Jupiter is the superheroine who has been her best friend since they were little and has turned into pretty much like an epic diva. Uh, and while she's, you know, fending off killer cupcakes, among other things. And Evie like puts up with her crap and you're just like, Oh man, like this is, why is this happening? Um, but you eventually find out why she's putting up with all of this and how close they are because of some things that happened in their childhood. And then Aveda gets injured and Evie has to pose as her for like a press opportunity that's supposed to be very simple. And of course, everything goes horribly wrong. Um, so it is like an action-y, adventure thing. But again, like super fun romance, really fun characters. The whole thing is so whimsical and enjoyable. And so and if you like them, there are more. So again, the first one is Heroin Complex, and it is the first in the Heroin Complex series by Sarah Kuhn. Okay, I picked When Dimple Met Rishi by Sandhya Menon, which is such a whimsical, fun, and romantic mm-hmm. story. And it, it's kind of a series. There are more books about like side characters, or well, they're not even side characters, really. They're just like... <sighs> I don't even know how they're connected because I can't remember if, <laughs> if Pinky, they're not connected. I don't think. Whatever. It's a series of the similar kinds of romances. Um, there are two full length novels out in the series so far and a third one is coming out next year. And there's also like a little novella. So there's plenty to read to keep you occupied until next year. So uh, When Dimple Met Rishi is about a girl named Dimple who has graduated from high school and she is like ready to get away from her family and go to a STEM it's not a conference, it's like a camp, like a coding camp, where a bunch of people who have just graduated from high school and are on their way to college will come together to like make apps and there's a contest and she'll get to meet her um, coding hero. <laughs> and she wants to make this app that is about like saving the lives of diabetics because her father is ill. And so she has this like inspiration to make this thing happen. Um, and she her parents are very supportive of her going, but are also very supportive of her like getting married <laughs> and finding an ideal Indian husband. And she like very much doesn't want to do that. And then Rishi is a bit the opposite of Dimple. He's an artist. He's a comic book artist. Um, He's very much like a romantic. His parents tell him that his future wife, because his marriage has been deranged, is going to be at the same summer program where he is um, and that he needs to like kind of court her a bit while they're there. And he's totally on board. Like he loves the traditions of his culture. He like is a very respectful son. He has been told things about this girl his whole life. He's like ready to meet her and get married. So he finds Dimple at this camp and, you know, hi, I'm your future husband. She has no flipping idea who this dude is. Like her parents <laughs> never told her that she was promised to this boy. So she like throws coffee at it's iced coffee. Don't get riled up. She throws iced coffee at him and like runs away. Um, and then they end up becoming friends and getting to know each other through the course of their um, you know, various academic pursuits that they're doing at this camp. And it is so it's just it's just sweet, you know, and it's not sickly. It's not because because Dimple has 
reservations. Like she has actual reservations about this boy. She does. She's mad at her parents for never telling her. And like, no, but somebody told this kid and now he's here. And like, how could you do this to us? And I don't want to get married. And like, what is wrong with you? You know, she's got actual like conflict about her feelings for Rishi. And Rishi is just the cinnamon rolliest guy. And like, he's unsure of himself. He's so nice to his parents. Like, I gosh, I just love him so much. I love him so much. I'm just gushing. Such a nice boy. He's such, such a, a nice, nice boy. boy. He's a nice boy. He's really good with colored pencils. I just love him. <laughs> um, so that's when Dimple met Rishi by Sandhya Menon. Super sweet. Please go read it. <laughs> it is really sweet. I do love that book. I am getting to the age where like, oh, he's so nice to his parents, like matters to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny how our our uh criteria for mm-hmm. characters switches as we age. Mm-hmm. That's like the last time I rewatched Buffy and found myself IDing with all of the adults in this yes. scenario, like the grown ups, like the parents. Like her mom. Like, oh. yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh I have so much sympathy for, you know, Joyce. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> Um, our next question is from Leah, who says, oh, speaking of moms, I'm looking for a book for my mom. <laughs> she really likes fiction about all kinds of sports in which characters overcome hardships and stereotypes, which is why she loved the Dairy Queen trilogy by Catherine Gilbert Murdoch. She has now read all three books several times and can't seem to find anything else quite like it. Can you think of anything along these lines? Okay, so I picked Check, Please, the first volume, which is just called Hockey, by Ngozi Ukazu. And I, this is a graphic novel. I'm obsessed with it. I read it on the internet before it was available in print. And every week I was like, is there a new one up? When is there going to be a new one up? I need more stories. Um, and so it's just so lovely. And it's about a freshman at a university where hockey is like the big deal. And he is going to be on the hockey team. His name is Biddy, uh, is how is his nickname. And he is like very small and he loves to bake pies and he has a vlog and like he's the kind of the, like last person you would expect to be on a hockey team. He doesn't at all fit the stereotype of like a hockey jock. And he's also gay and he has a huge crush on the captain of the team, but nobody knows he's gay. So, I mean, probably they could guess, but like he's not out. So he is, and you're, you get to see his story unfold over the course of him, like sort of, he starts off each little section with a little vlog about like what pie he's making. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Um, and then you see him like, you know, being on the team and like struggling in all of these different ways and, you know, what will happen to this crush. And oh my gosh, it's just so lovely. It's so lovely. And I don't, I couldn't, I like, I don't know what else to tell you. It's fantastic. Um, and the art is really sweet. I just loved it. So yeah. And the two volumes, I'm pretty sure are both available. So again, that is Check, Please. Book one is called Hockey and it is by Ngozi Ukazu. Perhaps surprising no one, I had to get help for sports <laughs> book question. So I asked the contributors, and our contributor Kathleen recommended The Flood Girls by Richard Fifield, which sounds adorable. So it takes place in Montana, Quinn, Montana, which is population 956. I love that so much. Uh, it reminds me, I went to visit my mom in Wyoming once when she lived there for a year before she fled because she hated it. But every time we pass like a little town on our way to go uh, go drive to Yellowstone, it would inevitably like the altitude would be higher than the population. <laughs> yeah. And that was just ugh. what what even are you doing? Western states. Anyway, so in Quinn, um, there is a girl named Rachel who was when she was a teenager was very much like the bad girl in town. And she did a series of kind of terrible things to the people in the town. She betrayed, there was like a big betrayal with her mother and she has left. 
She's been living in the big city um, and has since gotten her life together. She's going to AA. She has a sponsor. And she has come back to Quinn to make amends. Um, nobody wants to hear it, <laughs> as often is the case. Uh, her mother's name is Laverna. Her mother is amazing. Her mother runs the only bar in town. It's called The Dirty Shame. And she, <laughs> and she will not make mixed drinks because it's too much work. So, like, you can have whiskey in a cup. End of options. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, all of the volunteer firemen are named Jim, so they just call them, like, the collective of gyms. Like, they just call them the gyms, or, like, Jim 1, Jim 2, Jim 3, and they, they're all constantly getting mixed up. Um, and so part of – so this is a story about, like, Rachel coming back to a small town to try and put her life back together. Um, and also, of course, about all of these side characters who exist in this little town. And in order, part of the, like, thing she has to do to get people to open up to her again or listen to her at all is join the local softball team, which is terrible. The softball team has never won a game, will never win a game. Her mother is on the softball team and is making this, like, a condition of her speaking to her again. Like, I will talk to you if you come get on the softball team. Um, And so... Um, the sports ball, the softball team is the through line of the book that is really about these people in a small town in their lives and, you know, their kind of daily struggles. And the thing that I like about it is it's not doing that um, kitschy small town, everyone's a cliche, somebody has a pie shop, you know, like it's not doing that. Like these are not caricatures of people who live in Montana. These are human beings who live in Montana who have interpersonal relationships and like conflicts with their mom. Like these are normal people, which I love. So that's The Flood Girls by Richard Fifield. Okay. Oh, sponsor time, sponsor time. Our next sponsor is Frankly in Love, the audiobook, which is from Penguin Random House Audio, Frankly in Love by David Yoon. So the, I love the tagline for this. Two friends, one fake dating scheme. What could go wrong? <laughs> hey So this is a book for fans of John Green, Rainbow Rowell, Nicola Yoon, who is David Yoon's wife. It's about a kid named Frank Lee. He has two names, his American name and his Korean name. No one calls him by his Korean name, not even his parents. He doesn't even really speak Korean. But his parents still want him to end up with like a nice Korean girl which is not going to work for him because he's dating a girl named Brit who is white, who he like is obsessed with. So he's not gonna like, that's not going to work. He needs to be with her without his parents finding out because they will like not have it. So he turns to his family friend named Joy Song, who herself is in a very similar situation. So the two of them come up with the like scheme so that they can pretend to be dating people who their parents will approve of. And I, you know, shenanigans ensue as as they very frequently do in books because without them you would have no story so right. um the um blurb that the publisher sent for the talking points is from jody pico and it's just i love 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 this book in capital letters so that's great that's amazing that's like the best blurb i've ever seen in my life so go check this out this is specifically the audiobook um so if you're into audiobooks you can get that you know audible libro wherever you get your audiobooks from so that's frankly in love by david yoon Next question is from Annie, um, who says, I've recently realized that I read police and private detective procedurals as a kind of comfort read, palate cleanser, etc. I've read loads of Sarah Paretsky. I'm obsessed with Town of French and recently really enjoyed the first two books in Susie Steiner's D.I. Man and Bradshaw series, but I'd really love some recs for this kind of thing that isn't written by a white woman. I already have IQ by Joe Ides on my radar, have read and loved everything by Attica Locke, and have put The Widows of Malabar Hill on my TBR. Do you have any other suggestions? Bonus points if it's a long-ass series I can really sink my teeth into and keep going back to when all is lost. I read and write a lot of psychological thrillers, so don't need any recommend recommendations in 
that department. It's police and private eyes I'm after here. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Um, I picked uh, Shinju by Laura Jo Rowland, which is the first book in the Sano Ichiro series, which has, I mean, 18 books in it. So long series that you can really sink your teeth into. I love this book so much. So Laura Jo Rowland is Chinese and Korean. And this is a, it's a police, I mean, I'm air quoting here, police procedural um, except it's feudal Japan, so it's like the 17th century, and the police are not a thing. So he, the, the main character, the private, he's not even private, the detective, whatever, like these are terms that didn't exist, um, is a man named Sano Ichiro, who is a newly appointed, uh, I'm just going to say cop, because that's, you know, shorthand for the thing that he was doing. Um, he's actually a samurai, uh, and has been put in charge of the shogun and, you know, like keeping order, investigating crimes, that sort of thing. And when the book opens, this really beautiful and wealthy and like very high on the social ladder woman, um, is found drowned, tied together, uh, with this kind of low class artist who she should never have been associated with. Um, and it's believed that they have committed a ritual double suicide because, like, they could never be together, very Romeo and Juliet kind of thing. Except Sano Uchiro does not think that it was a ritual suicide. He thinks that there is foul play happening, and he is blocked in his investigation at every turn. And so, of course, that makes him just want to figure out what happened more. Um, so he it goes and he, like, gets into these really high, like, upper class, upper echelon houses to try and figure out what happened to this girl. Um, it's all complicated by, like, the social norms of the time. Like, he can't be alone with any of the women in the family. Um, he has to... Um, you know, pay attention to like the proper modes of address. Like it's all very complicated. It's cool in that historical fiction way where you're getting like an eye into a you know a different time and a, um, a like cultural norms that you probably aren't familiar with. I certainly wasn't. Like I don't know anything about feudal Japan. Um, so it was just really fascinating. And the murder mystery part is really great. Um, the way that they collect clues without any kind of modern forensics, like all of that, is really very detailed. Loved it. So that Shinju by Laura Jo Rowland. I love a historical procedural. Mm -hmm. Those are so much fun. I need to read more of those. Um, okay, so I am recommending to you Asma Zehanet Khan, who has been on the show before, but it's been a minute since we talked about her mysteries, so we're going to do that right now. Uh, she has a series called the Rachel Getty and Issa Khatek series, and there are five books currently out, so lots of material to dig in there. And these are Canadian police procedurals, which I don't feel like we see very often in the U.S. at least, which is fun. And I love the two main characters and their relationship so much. Um, Rachel and Issa are on a task force that looks specifically into minority sensitive cases. And so their work is really intense. Like the first book involves a potential war criminal from the Srebrenica massacre. The second book involves like religious fundamentalism, like really intense, like undercover work and, you know, loaded, loaded situations. And they are such a good team and have such an interesting, trusting relationship that gets tested by the circumstances, but like still has such a great core and foundation. And actually, I was thinking a little bit about this as I was prepping for the show. And I was like, oh, it's kind of the same thing, but different that I loved about the elementary with Lucy Liu and uh, Johnny Lee Walker, like that Watson Holmes relationship. Like it's that kind of, you know, different genders, friends coming from very different places, but still working really well together. That kind of thing, which I love. So and Khan is a great writer. These books are really intense and will definitely keep you turning the pages. And there are five of them. So again, that is the Rachel Getty and Issa Katek series by Asma Zehanet Khan. 
And the first one is called The Unquiet Dead. And our next question is from Jenny, who says, uh, as a side effect of the Read Harder Challenge, I realized that I love books of essays in addition to my known favorites of historical fiction, fantasy, murder, mystery, and literary fiction. I just finished reading Selfish, Shallow, and Self-Absorbed. I had high hopes for this book as a 37-year-old veterinarian who has made this decision myself not to have kids, which tends not to be a popular one with family or peer group. I was hoping to find my brethren in these essays, but Sadly, only felt some mild kindred spirits calling from one or two essays. I was wondering if you might be able to help me find a character who speaks to me through a novel. I will say that the single and driven female lead intrigues me, but isn't me. Uh, I love kids, so kid haters are also a strong no. Some of my favorite characters thus far have been Kinsey Malone from Sue Grafton's Alphabet series, Lindsay Boxer from the early part of the Women's Murder Club series, Claire from the Outlander series, and Joe from Little Women. Aw, Joe. <laughs> Who doesn't love Joe? Who doesn't love Joe? So I don't, I think hopefully y'all have noticed, I don't usually do this. I don't usually recommend the same book like twice in a row. But listen, this <laughs> book, it's just a perfect book. It's The Magnificent Spinster by Mae Sarton. And I know I talked about it last time, but listen, this, I just, it's too good, y'all. Jane Reed is the main character of this novel, which was published in, yeah, early 80s and takes place like earlier than that Jane was born I want to say she like came of age between world wars one and two so a little bit historical in that sense and she never marries but has many intensely attached relationships she is a teacher so she loves and she clearly loves working with children and she just, like, for, you know, reasons that characters speculate about in the book, she just never gets married and has kids of her own. And there's all kinds of potential reasons, like, maybe she's queer, maybe she's ace, like, who knows? Maybe she just funneled all of her energy into her students. But she's a woman with an incredibly rich social life and incredibly important relationships to her that just doesn't have kids. Um, and the novel itself is a really interesting structure because it's sort of a book within a book. The framing is that one of her students, who's now older herself, is looking back on the life of this woman who has just died and being like, people are going to forget about her. Like her legacy is going to disappear. So I'm going to write about her, but I'm afraid I'm going to get things wrong. And so I'm going to kind of make it a novel, but also insert myself into it. It's weird. Here we go. So it's a really lovely and interesting novel to begin with. And like Jane is such a wonderful character. So again, that's The Magnificent Spinster by Mae Sarton. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> okay, I picked The Signature of All Things by Elizabeth Gilbert. I kind of latched on to how you said you really like historical fiction. Um, so this opens in the 18th century. Um, a guy named Henry Whitaker, he's like a really poor Englishman who makes his fortune in the quinine like in quinine uh, coming from south america and then he uh, becomes philadelphia's richest man and the main character is his daughter her name is alma she's born in 1800 and she is a brilliant botanist who is obsessed with moss and there is so like this is a book about moss and that sounds some kind of way it's amazing. Um, so she, her scientific research uh, becomes more and more involved and the nature of moss and its slow growth and like how it evolves over time actually leads her into thinking about evolution before or maybe at the kind of at the same time um, Darwin is doing so. So she's this very clear minded 
um, focused scientist. And she does get married in the book. She marries a guy named Ambrose, who is a completely her opposite. He's kind of a space cadet. He's an artist who really likes drawing flowers. Like he's a brilliant artist, but he's very um, into like the mystical and the divine and all this kind of stuff. And she loves him really deeply. Their relationship is very complicated. Um, you said in your question that like you're happily married and I would not describe their marriage as happy. It's kind of strange, um, but it is important to her. She never has children and the book is about her entire life. So you follow her from birth through her career, her marriage, and into um, her old age, into what's into her dotage. I just really like that word. <laughs> um, and across, she is like becomes this world traveler. She goes to Tahiti and Amsterdam, and of course, she was born in Philadelphia. She ends up in Peru and um, Europe, and she experiences like you're watching modern civilization be born through the eyes of this really brilliant woman who, like children, just. She talks about it a few times in the book because she's married and, like, it's the thing that a woman in the 1800s would be expected to do. But she just kind of has better things to do. And she's not a kid hater. Like, she's not saying that or talking about that in a way that indicates that, like, she is thinks kids are bad. She just is, you know, in Tahiti studying moss and, like, doesn't have time. Um, so I think that you'll relate a lot to her, especially since you yourself are in a scientific field. Um, and it's a lovely book. And it's huge. It's a great thing to read in the fall. So that's The Signature of All Things by Elizabeth Gilbert. Okay. Our last question is from Julia, who says, I've always wondered why I felt no connection to action heroines. Then I read Sabriel and realized that I prefer down-to-earth, sensible protagonists who have a strong sense of duty. Tiffany Aching is the platonic ideal of this. She really is. Um, I also recently loved The Bear and the Nightingale. My preferred genres are science fiction and fantasy. I've been especially loving domestic fantasy lately that takes place around the home, though a good adventure across dangerous lands is always fun, too. Okay, I'm going to keep going. And I'm going to echo what Jen said about like, I just recommended this. Sorry, not sorry. But it's perfect for what you're asking. And it's The Sisters of the Winterwood by Rena Rosner. And this takes place in the early, like very early 1900s when in like a tiny village in Moldova. And it's about two sisters, Libba and Leia. They have a really, really sheltered life. Um, and it's a time in history when, like, things were obviously not going well for Jews, especially in Central and Eastern Europe. And it is about, it's a fantasy novel that takes place in and around their home. So that, like, feeling of dom domesticity and fantasy that you're after is very present here. Um, and they, both of the sisters are, like, the whole book is about them competing with their, like, internal sense of duty versus what they want to be doing, like, with their lives and themselves. When the book opens, their parents have to leave um, to go maybe bury, but possibly nurse back to health their father's father, who is himself dying. So they leave the girls behind. They're like adults. They're not leaving like 10-year-olds. They're, you know, young adults. They leave their young adult daughters behind under the protection and care of the village um, with plans to, like, return, you know, soon, as soon as they figured out what's going on with their grandfather. Um, the twist here is that one of the sisters can turn into a bear and one of the sisters can turn into a swan. And these are magical um, magical abilities that they've inherited from their parents. And the fact that their parents come from two different magical families that never, like, that don't like to commingle is the reason why they've been kind of ostracized into the wilderness of this tiny village. Um, and while their parents are gone, you know, historical stuff starts to unravel. Also, some of their families shows up to, like, claim them to be part of their clan again. Um, and they have to kind of decide what they want to do. But it has that very, like, with the bear and the, it feels a lot like the bear and the nightingale, like very cold, isolated family mythological magic stuff going on. So that's the Sisters of the Winter Wood by Rena Rosner. 
I am going to give a quick shout out to Gods of Jade and Shadow by Silvia Moreno-Garcia, which I did talk about last week. And and that is a heroine who really is struggling with what it means to have a life outside of duty. Um, but my actual pick for you is The Tethered Mage by Melissa Caruso, which is the first in the Swords and Fire series. And this is a really interesting book because the heroine's sense of duty is so strong that I actually found it a little bit annoying sometimes. And I'm curious if, like, I wonder what you will think of it. Uh, it's uh, about a young woman named Lady Amalia Cornaro. She is an heiress. Her mother is this very high-powered, like, I can't remember what, she's not a senator, but like, you know, she's in an empire, she's a part of a ruling family, she's got a lot of political power, and she is at the court of the Doge. Uh, And so Amalia has been raised, like, to walk in her mother's footsteps, to always say the right thing to the right people, to do the correct things, you know, and she's very bookish and like would prefer not to be involved in all of that stuff if she could, but she knows she doesn't really have a choice. So she's been absorbing these lessons from her mother as best as she can. It's not really her forte. And then one day she's out on the street and there is a magic user sort of running around loose, which is not allowed in this empire. And she intervenes in a situation and ends up like bonded to this street kid named Zara who has a fire magic gift and is not supposed to be like Amalia is not supposed to be involved in this. It's actually kind of against the rules for a like political ruling family to be bonded to a mage. So there's all kinds of complications that come up. And then through her association with this young woman, she starts to see the cracks in the facade. There's this big political situation. It's very complicated. She gets pulled into that. And the question of like, what is an appropriate use of magic as might comes up and this is one of the parts where I would get frustrated with her because she she like really believes in this empire and I'm just like allergic to empires right like anytime I hear the word empire I'm like nope bad burn it down um and Amalia like wants to see the empire survive so she's a really interesting and odd character to follow around in that way because I kept hoping that she would like wake up a little bit and Zara is constantly calling her on this and like you don't see the problems here but these are the real problems so it's a really interesting tension about like when does duty go too far and a character who's like still trying to figure that out she doesn't already she's not already there so you're kind of watching her go through that uh, so again that's the tethered man by Melissa Caruso, and it is the first in the Swords and Fire series. And that's our show. Hey! Hey-o! Thank you so much for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And I'm on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. That's J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And on Twitter as Jen IRL. We will talk to you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>